we I've been just saying yeah we should talk uh, I did this uh, interview with Sean and I did an interview with um, with geeky jewels with Julia Sherrod and uh, I'm trying to it seems like a more fun way to do a podcast than me just uh, huddling in a corner talking to myself <laughs> <laughs> interesting documentary over time though um some of the stuff that you've collected as you're out walking around it's like it's like uh uh, uh it's like uh, nature recordings of the pots clan it's, it's kind of it's kind of a, it's a very odd artifact yeah i'm wondering you know in 20 years will anyone look at this but some of the stuff like documenting your life is interesting um because like the kids have short memories so they were just in the apartment a year ago, but like I'll play a video clip from the old apartment for Veronica, who's six, and she'll be like, oh, that's where we used to live, you know. That was just one well, year that ago. Was, well, it was more, almost 20% of her lifetime ago. So exactly. Perspective is funny. Anyway, so you are uh, Meredith Matthews. Yes, I am. And you're now in Buffalo? I am, yes. And you were in Pottsville? I was in Pottstown. Oh, I should, it's about a three-hour difference. You would think I would I would have that right. I even have a picture of me next to the sign when we stop <laughs> by to visit. Well, Pottsville is the more famous of the two just because um, that's where Yingling beer is made. Okay, sorry. Uh, anyway. So, you know, we have, there's a... Pottstown used to be a major steel place and uh, made Mrs. Mrs. Something's pierogies. Mrs. Mrs. Potts. Mrs. Mrs. T's. It was a manufacturer for Mrs. T's frozen. Goodies, oh, Mrs. T's. So. I think I've. Yes. I think I've had those. Yeah. Yes, I think they're still manufactured. There. Yeah. Okay. And you are probably uh, your biggest presence online is the long-running uh, Brain Douche podcast. Probably, yeah. I have a couple of websites that are older, but none that are as uh, popular. And. I, I have to confess, I, I am a, a, a little behind on your feed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't published in about a month, so... Okay, so... I wouldn't be too worried about it. But for a while, you were you were producing um, an original Electronica song, uh, it seemed like, daily. <laughs> <laughs> well, what ends up happening... The, my podcast is um, remarkable in that I don't have a set posting schedule right well neither do i but yeah it was it was a decision i made way back in the beginning just so i wouldn't drive myself crazy yeah um i try to i try to release something once a month and i've pretty much been able to do that but i usually produce a little faster than that so what ends up happening is that stuff kind of accumulates in the corners right so every once in a while i just publish it all you do it like a big uh, dump of, uh, of stuff yeah do a big dump and i'll just push stuff out daily until I run out. And then you also did uh, Nano Podmo. I did. I did that oh, two years ago. Oh, it's, oh, it's two years? Okay. <laughs> I think it was two years ago wow. that I did that. But that so that was a very, that was a, a podcast today, right? That was a podcast today. Um, it was an original podcast today. The one thing that I wanted to do with Napod Pomo, I think the National podcast production month is the thing um the thing with that is that a lot of podcasters got into napod pomo and said okay i'm going to do this one thing for 30 days yeah and one thing a day and it was completely unrelated to their normal podcasting right um it was it was a new feature it was a whole new show in some cases 
And I didn't want to do that. If I was going to do a show a day for 30 days, I was going to make them just like the rest of my other episodes. And they were just as goofy. Yeah. And I was very proud of myself that I was actually able to accomplish that. Yeah. Now, what's really crazy, though, is right after Napod Pomo, uh, uh, publishing a new episode every day for 30 days, I decided to keep going, and I followed it up immediately with an advent calendar. Yeah. (laughs) So I ended up publishing, it was uh, 55 days in a row, something new every day. Nice. Which was long. That was also a lot of fun. (laughs) I haven't done it since, you'll notice, but it, it it was a lot of fun. Down the chimney with the greatest aplomb came this cat, Santa Claus, like a hydrogen bomb. He had big horn-rimmed glasses over deep sunken eyes. He wore a tuxedo like an earth person in disguise. He spoke not a word, but he began to unload, and like, man, we was amazed at the supply this cat showed. Have a funky, funky Christmas. I'm looking, I'm pulling up my iTunes just uh, quick here to see, see what you're up to. Uh, Just what number you're up to. (laughs) And what, and go back and see what's the, how far behind am I? (laughs) Which is a lot. Uh, Well, you don't, they're not all numbered now. No, they're not. Yeah. I know how many I've published. It's nobody else's business. If you look at it in the store or on the store website, you can it'll show you it's 160 episodes right now. Nice. Okay. Or 161. One of those. Wow. And for four years, that's not too bad. And you've been starting, you're starting to do videos, too. Yes, I recently started doing that. Um, a lot of that comes from the new version of uh, FL Studio. The ImageLine uh, Digital Audio Workstation. They, in their most recent version, they finally included um, a, a, a visualization renderer, which is something I've been trying to figure out how to do for two years reliably. Uh huh. You, you know, you you bring up you know Winamp and you, you put on your album and all the pretty little things float across the screen. And you'd like to capture all that, I, yeah. All I wanted was to capture that and put it on video so I could start putting videos on YouTube. And apparently that's really hard to do. Yeah. Well, uh, like Until a typical now. screencast thing probably wouldn't wouldn't pick that up because it's all being directly rendered into a buffer by some kind of separate imaging engine or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it turned out to be very inaccurate and it, it didn't, it just, it, the, the resolution was too low and it just, I don't have enough processing power to do it, so. Yeah. Well, anyway, so... Uh, I wound up uh, interacting here with contributing uh, for an episode 100. 
Yes, you did. <laughs> and that was a wonderful episode 100. <laughs> it was, it was a, a bizarre one, at least. It was funny. Uh, so I, I was very happy that you actually stuck that on there. Cause, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was, that, was, that was a lot of fun for, for everybody who's listening who doesn't know. I did not do an official episode 100 just because podcasters make such a big deal of episode 100. So I made other people do it, and I published, I think, up, I'm up to four episode 100s now. Are there four? Uh, I think there's four. There's three or four of them. Okay. I've had, I've had all kinds of people contribute to that, which was also a fun little project as well. And I'm still accepting. If anybody else wants to record an episode 100 for Brain Douche, email me at podcast at braindouche.net. It's like a guest, it's like <laughs> a guest spot. Yes. So, and uh, you, I think, I guess if I had to characterize what, uh, you know, we kind of work in different tools and do different sorts of things, but we would have in common it would be a, a fascination with audio. Yes, yeah. I would say that's probably accurate. So, so uh, tell me, uh, you know, not just me, but anyone who may be listening, both of them, um, <laughs> how how you got into this? Uh, what because you did have a, a an actual background in this as a as a living. Yes, I was absolutely convinced that I wanted to grow up and be a radio producer, a radio engineer, really. Um, all through high school, I, I worked at the high school radio station. I was president of that, and I did internships all over the place, and I went to school for a communications degree with a concentration on radio production. Um, I worked at um, w, uh, um, WFUV, I think is what it was. It's a NPR affiliate in the Bronx. Um, I've had, I, I, it, I, I've done several, you know, actual jobs <laughs> working, working in radio production. But once I had to drop out of college, it kind of all fell apart. Yeah. And all I really, and it was, it probably was for the best because I wanted to grow up and be the little geek in the corner in the studio producing like bumpers and ads and that little troll. And it's, the, the guy who does it in any radio station is always a nearsighted little troll. He's a nasty, <laughs> brutish dude, and I love every one of them individually and collectively. Um, you know, that's who I wanted to grow up to be. The, the nasty, but, brutish troll. Yes. Uh, or, or is that why you, you changed your mind? <laughs> because you decided maybe, maybe that was maybe you didn't want to be the nasty, brutish troll. No, no, I definitely wanted to be the nasty brutish troll and have my own little studio, my own little board, and all my little, all my little uh, seat recordings of music and the little gadgets and the microphones and coming in and doing ads for sneakers and you know, um, stuff for old people. It didn't work out because <clears throat> the the other reason that I'm kind of pleased it didn't work out is because once I got to college, I ended up very much on a management training track. Yeah, yeah. And Which it, it was a little soul sucking by comparison. <laughs> it wasn't nearly as much fun. I was doing paperwork and I was negotiating contracts and I was uh, doing a lot of talking, a lot of organizing, and a lot of scheduling. And I wasn't actually plugging things in or recording things or you know soldering things. The fun, or, the fun stuff, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't doing any of the fun stuff. They wanted me to go do all the all the, all the managerial stuff and yeah. Well, we we have that slightly in common because while I, I never got paid for it, I, I was involved in my college's radio station, and I was the the student production manager. Oh, cool! And I made uh, I interviewed people, and I put together 
uh, carts. You know, I worked, got people into our little studio and and, and uh, recorded them and added music mm-hmm. and made uh, promo carts for this and that going on on campus and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah that's what I wanted to do, and yeah. it never happened. And was uh, just what well, in those in those uh, days back in the previous uh, century. <laughs> <laughs> It often involved, well, involved vinyl and it involved uh, reel-to-reel machines and slicing out bits of tape and taping them together and hoping it didn't all come apart and jam before you could get it transferred onto your uh, little cart. Oh, yeah. I I worked at a radio station called WNWR. It was a time broker day on station in, in Philadelphia. And they were... They had the entire range of radio technology in their studio, and I really glad that I got a chance to work there because had to work with reel-to-reel, had to edit reel-to-reel, worked with carts, worked with tapes. They had a digital editing workstation that I worked with. Um, I had to learn how to work with vinyl. I had uh, everything. They had DATs. They had a hard drive. It, absolutely any kind of thing that has been used um, in radio production in the last 40 years was still being actively broadcast out of this radio station. Hmm, wow. So. Yeah, it was it was a little wacky. <laughs> like a... It was especially wacky when we had the angry Polish lady. <laughs> it was the angry Polish lady. Well, since this is a time-brokered station, I mean, anybody can, could pay their $100 and come in and do a radio show. Um, and what they ended up doing was a lot of, uh, I guess a lot I, of, I'm not um, really sure how they're like a co-op uh, almost or like community, yeah. community access or no, it, it, it's like community access. If community access was not, was, was a for-profit thing. Oh, I see. So yeah, you come in, you pay for a certain block of time and then you, then you come in and you produce your show. Um, and then you can run whatever ads you want during during your show. But you but all of the um, all, all of the blocks um, over the entire week are rentable, essentially. Interesting. And, I've, I've never heard of that. Yeah. Ne- ne- never occurred to. I don't, obviously don't know much about the business side. It never occurred to me you could run a radio station that way. Yeah, they're still and they're still doing it too. They've done it for years. Huh. Um, it, it it ends up being very popular for. Um, for a foreign language broadcasting. Oh yeah, they have a, a small yeah. dedicated audience. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there were people within a 200, 200 mile radius who would put up special receivers just to receive the broadcasts out of this radio station because it was so hard to find. For instance, Polish language. Yeah. Uh, news. I could see that. Or something like that. So, um. One of the shows came in every week was the Angry Polish Lady, and I don't remember her name. She she was hardcore, but she put together a good show. But she also expected all of her board ops to be absolutely at the tip top of their game, no matter whether or not they produced the show or not. So she would really she would rattle anybody mm. that was producing her, and um, what she would do is that she would come in with a st- stack of like 13 or 14 cassettes, three records, a reel-to-reel, um, <laughs> <laughs> interspersed with 30-second announcements um, on paper in Polish. And what she'd do, she'd hand you this and say, okay, there's this at this minute and this at this minute. And she was, act- she was actually really organized about it. She'd say this, ha- and it, she would have marked down the approximate 
time within the hour that a, that a certain cassette or whatever should play. So you had to be really scrambling to have everything cued. So perfectly. you were you were you were on t- you had to be on top of it uh, on top of her every thirty seconds something got changed. Wow! And it was going back and forth. <laughs> Now, she'd help. She'd say, okay, this is next, and this is next. But if you weren't there and on the money, she would start yelling at you in Polish. <laughs> <laughs> so her listeners could understand her, but you couldn't. <laughs> exactly. They could oh, understand everybody how... understood she was pissed. That was, that was for yeah, sure. Yeah, they could understand how she was abusing the, the staff. But... <laughs> That's hilarious. That's bizarre. So I also, I mean, I remember listening to your earlier episodes and going back, and there was... A piece you did that sounded like an audition for This American Life or some something like that. My very first episode. Yeah, it says uh, yeah. submission to the Carl the Carmel Scholarship. Carmel Scholarship. Carmel. Yeah, yeah, that my was that was going. my first episode. Yeah. And that that's a that's a really nice piece. I would I would highly like link to it or something. I would highly recommend people listen to it. Oh, thank but you. there's there's also a a character you did once uh, a dominatrix character that just had me <laughs> just about wetting myself with laughter. I have mastered the intricacies of shy bari bondage, the glorious discipline of corporal punishment, and the twisted depths of the submissive psyche. And it should be said that, as a mystera of the statistic arts, I have a very, very good sex life indeed with my stable of willing, colored boys. In fact, when I am on the prowl for a new body upon which to subject my whim, the regular chat room rabble flee from my veritable online visage, leaving only the most worthy behind to amuse me. When you have the experience I do, your reputation precedes you. Uh, yeah, the, the the digital diva of divine decorum. Yeah, I mean, having <laughs> having been sort of uh, uh, hang out with with uh, the sort of campus LGBT uh, folks at my mm. school, you know, I, I'm I'm familiar with that sort of um, uh, that culture of humor, I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> I really kind of hoped that the digital diva would become a recurring character, but I just wasn't able to figure out how to get the uh, get the cycle running. Make it more than a on that more and, than a and, one and, joke and, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was very and, funny. And get, yeah. yeah, I was really hoping that I could get um, like get uh, Collins or or people submitting questions of for advice from from this idiot, and never quite was able to put it together yeah i an awful lot of my projects are kind of like that i keep <laughs> going back to uh to uh, call it to the the production stuff i i was constantly trying to uh, get a radio drama project off the ground mm-hmm. and just um you know it all would sort of just not get moving for lack of a script really i mean <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that will prevent for prevent drama from from dramatizing. A friend of mine wrote like a spec script for me to to look at, in which it was basically a murder mystery in which uh, all the freshmen on campus were were killed horribly. And jeez. Oh, and I just kind of <laughs> it was funny, but um, I just thought maybe the 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 station administration and the and the college, you know, the people that. Try to promote the school might not really appreciate that. 
<laughs> yeah, that's pretty much only funny to sophomores and juniors, I guess. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. So you've also, I mean, you've you've made uh, you're someone also who just collects uh, collects plugins and collects like uh, electronic music tools, and there's a lot of stuff. I, I'm mostly a Mac guy, and there's not quite as much uh, free stuff. There's a lot, but I I don't get to play so much anymore, you know, with with stuff like that. But um, as far as uh, um, synthesizer tools and synthesis plugins, and um, tell me a, a, you know a little bit about some of these, because you have produced a lot of of uh, music tracks. Yes. Um, I try not to hoard VSTs. There are a lot, some people can have a real problem with that, start collecting them like baseball cards. Yeah. And then you have 30 million things and you don't know how to use any of them. Um, well, so I, I try but, but to... But you'd, you'd say that's fair. You're like a, a connoisseur of, of these, these different tools. <laughs> um, I try to stick with slightly more developed things and stuff that has a good reputation for making ambient music since that is the genre that I mostly work in. Um, <coughs> let's see, well, how about I bring it up and take a look and see what we have here. Ambient is a pretty right. big umbrella. Yeah. Yes, ambient is about as big an umbrella as rock music. I've got a, a um, quite a, a large section of my iTunes library is, is ambient and to me that means uh, like stuff like the orb and apex twin and ambient mm -hmm. works volumes one and two which i highly recommend but uh i i've listened to them i've, I've listened to the apex twins ambient albums and i have a real hard time getting into them really uh. they sound un they, they, i mean this is me criticizing the apex twins but it sounds it sounds very unfinished to me hmm yeah well, they're they're they kind of all over the map. Some of his early stuff yeah. was sort of rough, but um, it's stuff that I uh, that kind of stuff I can listen mm -hmm. to while I'm at, uh, working on something else. You know. Yes, absolutely. So, um, VSTs and plugins. Um, some of my favorite plugins are by DSK. DSK has put out oh probably fifty plugins at this point. Um. And uh, I can very much their their uh, space space music plugins are particularly good. I think they're very clear. They've got great delays on them, um, and they're very uh, very much in the spirit of space music, which I have produced some of. So you want to look for um, a DSK Odyssea. And there is, oh, what's another one? Uh, DSK Darkness Theory, DSK Chaos Theory. Um, and I'm also a big fan of their DSK Orins, which is a, um, uh, which it's, it's just a, a, a two, uh, um, it's a synth with two, what the heck are they called? <laughs> oscillators. Oscillators, thank you. It's just a two oscillator synth with a, with a sequencer in it, but it's a lot of fun to play with. Yeah. Well, and I've done I've done a lot of stuff with that. Well, that's the simple, uh, you know, the, the the simple tools that mm -hmm. are you know you need a 
a cutoff and a resonance control and a and a couple of fat sine waves and you know it can yeah. be in hog heaven for hours so like. <laughs> hours and hours oh and one more is dsk palladies is another really good plugin that they put out cool i'll ha- um, have to look yeah. look into some of those I, i've got mm-hmm. um most of my plugins are actually are like um uh stuff like compressors you know they're they're uh-huh. for dealing yeah. with eq and that and that's like uh isotope alloy and isotope ozone and then rx is actually a separate a standalone program for noise reduction i use that a lot mm-hmm. but i also have this uh these um uh, plugins by cycling 74 called there's a set called plugo and there's a i can't open it pop it up now while logic's actually running <laughs> <laughs> of course but there's a but there's there's several sets of these there's i think there's three like sets and uh they come with i don't know quite a few uh, separate uh, plugins each uh, audio units um mm-hmm. I, I think they're vsts as well they're built in different frameworks but um these are all um there's one that's uh that's all rhythmic sounds and some of them uh, uh, one set is all like horrible modulators like uh <laughs> You know, really for destroying sound. Mm-hmm. And I got those and I thought, oh, I'm going to make all kinds of great music that involves taking beautiful sounds and making them horrible. You know, gritty and ugly. and, and uh, Well, there's a lot to that, yeah. Yeah, but I, I just haven't really done very much with it because uh, it just, I don't know, they don't sound... It sounds stupid to say they're not as the result isn't as pretty as you might hope. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's not. It's often not beautifully ugly. Although I do like to do odd things. Like uh, I frequently mm. will put uh, ring modulators on vocals mm. and stuff like yeah. that. You know. Well, if you're interested in uglifying. Um, Ugly fine plugins and VSTs. You want to go Google up Morfiki, M O R F I K I. Um, that guy has put out a whole raft of bit crushing and noise plugins that do really weird things. Mm. And they're all ugly as hell, but they but every once in a while it's just the perfect thing for this that that right amount of grit. Yeah, there's a. There's a an isotope uh, plugin called Trash, which it's it's you have to buy it, and I haven't bought it, but it's all distortion algorithms and a wide variety of distortions, mm-hmm. and I'd like to try that sometime. I'd like, um, but uh, I all these uh, all these various filters, moving filters, and and um, mm-hmm. resonant filters that wind up making things. <laughs> you know uh <laughs> yes. they're they're cool but it's, it's sometimes it's hard to find the right right place for them i have a yeah. little box for guitar it's an old effects pedal called a gonculator okay. and it, it's a basically a really poor quality ring modulator <laughs> <laughs> um but uh some of uh, there's a, a band called incubus that found a song that they wrote a part that it fits perfectly it fits beautifully mm-hmm. uh, in that song um, but uh, I have not yet found the perfect place to put this noisy, god-awful, clanging... You're just waiting. Yeah, I am waiting, because I'd like to be able to use it on a track. Cause, uh, mm-hmm. So I, I do, uh, some, I've do. i been doing some original songs. I've got 
I'm on like number six, I think, of original songs. Oh, that's great. And it's a start, but um, I am. Uh, you're also a fan of of uh, Sean Hurley and Sherwin Sleeves and and his work too, and I'm so really jealous of what he has uh, accomplished. You know, and <laughs> so not that I can do it quite like that, but uh, he he just he can write songs quickly and and pretty cool songs yes he he, and he's demonstrated his um his technique in several uh videos i don't know if they've made it out to the to to the wider web but i know that his personal little cult of personality the stalwarts have seen several videos of the the master classes Yeah, yeah, the master classes, and they're excellent examples of how to produce fast. Which I am always, always, always an advocate of producing music as fast as you can possibly stand. I think I think that's right. Um, and I my technique has always been uh, so far always. You know, I've been only doing this for a short while, but uh, <laughs> start with lyrics, and then for a while I would come up with a melody independently and record the melody uh, as a MIDI track, and then tweak mm-hmm. it, tweak it, and then play it through my headphones, and then sing against it, and then you know add tracks to that, which is uh, completely backwards from the way a lot of people do it. <laughs> But I, well, hey, if it works. Well, it it we were it doesn't it doesn't you know it, I I think I, I I do need to to I think feel more and record faster and obsess less about sound <laughs> about the, the sound yes. quality and the performance quality. Yes. Sometimes, I don't know. It's interesting, but you've you've brought it to the point where you have now uh, produced an album. And this is yes, you signed up on Magnitude. Yes, um, I've been producing music and other strange audio ephemera for three years, and I was thinking that it was time to release an album. I might as well, right? Um, and I was going around and I was looking at you know uh, net labels and seeing uh, what was there and seeing if I could you know expand my great brain douche empire out that way and i'm looking at these net labels and i'm looking at these net labels and i'm very much not quite seeing the point yeah because these net labels are basically a point of free distribution for geeks and and obsessives to come and download your tunes and listen I already have that with the podcast. I don't need that kind of. I don't need more of that kind of uh, distribution. Right, so I was looking, right. looking at them. I guess yeah, I'm a little unclear yeah. on exactly what role these labels have. If if you can put every you know license, yeah. if you're going to make things yeah. license Creative Commons, and all you need is a server, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's a couple of even a couple of years ago, they actually made quite sense. Made quite a lot of sense to have that curatorial. Um, attitude there um and to collect the distribution into one point as opposed to having everybody do their own distribution just because it was that much more complicated four or five years ago it's not now uh-huh um, yeah right. between it between the advances of uh podcasting how simple that's become to services like soundcloud um, there's no, I don't see much of a point in net labels anymore, except that the people who run the net labels 
can still serve that curator that, that, that curator role in discovering music of a certain bent to, to a certain taste and that alone can definitely fill a need that somebody has an interesting ear and he's always listening to stuff and he brings you this little gem and then this little gem and then this little gem and that and considering just how many bazillions of musicians there are in every little obscure niche of music on the internet that can be very valuable mm -hmm. doesn't help me though so <laughs> so i was looking around and um I've used Magnatune in the past to license like theme music for different projects and stuff, and I was on their... Um, you used them as a client. Yeah, yeah. From, yeah I was a client. Yeah. I, I, I licensed music through them for, for other things. So, um, and I, I received their weekly or bi-weekly um, uh, email saying what new, what new music they had. And um, the, usually you get, an, in this case, you get an email and there's four or five new albums. And then there was this guy named Dr. Sounds, I think was his name. And I clicked on it, and it was New Ambient from Dr. Sounds, and I played it. And it was One Cent Electronic Ambient. And I'm listening to it and going, damn. I can do that. I, I can do it better. Not only, yeah. not only do I know how to make that music, I make it better than this guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, I put together a collection of, of tunes and sent them in, and they said yes. Oh. It, it was just that anticlimactic, really. <laughs> So you do have a little bit more, I mean, they do um, some of this promotion for you, at least they've got newsletters and stuff like that and mm -hmm. more of a, so does that, um, are you getting downloads? Yes, I am getting some downloads. Um, there is a certain degree of promotion that they do mostly within Magnitude. Um, I've been featured a couple of times on their topical podcasts. Mag Magnatune puts out podcasts of, you know, combinations of artists in different genres. <coughs> Excuse me. And they have a decent subscriber base to that because people are interested in just hearing a variety. And like, yeah. and like you say, it's curated, you know, or, mm -hmm. or, or promoted. And there's that. And there's a little bit of promotion on the website. And there's a little bit of promotion through the email. Um, not a huge amount, but... That's okay. Um, but the, the big advantage of signing with Magnatune is that um, all of my music is on iTunes. My album is on Amazon. My album is on um, is in every major um, MP, uh, uh, e-music. It's in, I believe it's on Last FM. So it's, all, it's in every major MP3 source on the internet. But there's a... You didn't have to, uh, like a few years ago, you would have had to, if you wanted a physical CD, you would have had to front the money to press a, a big box of CDs. Well, I don't have to do that. I just do that through, um, I, I, I've printed a grand total of five CDs. Um, and I did that through, uh, I did one run through Lulu and Lulu just actually kicked me off the service um and there's another one that sean uses called kunaki uh-huh i discovered that through him which is actually also a really good service to, to print cds and it's just print on demand it's, pr it's really um, print on demand now so someone gets yeah. basically a cdr when they order it Mm -hmm. It does. That's um, they're they're certainly nicer than that, and the Kunaki CDs are better than are nicer than Lulu CDs. Um, but it's it's um, yeah. is it like um, 
Oh, I, I don't know. I'm so far behind. But, like, they get <laughs> graphics burned onto it or uh, labeled? Um, it's... Yeah, the the CDs the CDs themselves get printed. Uh, it's not an adhesive label. It's a some kind of wet printing. Oh, cool. Um, you, yeah, you get um, usually four page um, printed um, out, uh, outside two pages, inside two pages. Um, and I mean, you have to design all that yourself, clearly. But I also happen to have a graphic designer on staff, so right. it's okay for me. Right. <laughs> I keep her very close at all times for emergencies like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and um, the big difference is that Kunaki will the sells the CDs are um, cellophane wrapped, and um, Lulu's are not. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's it. I, I hadn't uh, hadn't occurred to me how people can. So you know, so many people are are only do the MP3 dis- downloads now. But you you can get a physical CD. That's interesting. And I still wind yeah. up buying CDs uh, mainly because I don't like MP3 compression more than I have to have it. You know, hmm. oh, doesn't bother me too much. The big reason that I got CDs printed was so I could give one to my grandfather. Cool. <laughs> because he 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 enjoys music. He'd be very impressed that I made a CD. I don't know if he really understands anything that goes on on it. Um, but sending him to my podcast to listen to MP3s is a little bit beyond his skill. Yeah. But if I give him a CD, he knows what to do with that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I understand that. I can't get, um, uh, Grace will listen to my podcast, but only because I set it up, uh, and she sees them on, uh, my Facebook feed. But as far as being in her iTunes or something like that, she doesn't, uh, <laughs> she's <laughs> Well, she's a little technophobic. We uh, we had to borrow a car a few days ago, and uh, it was... Uh, oh, yeah, because the transmission went on on your van again. Yeah. I read about that. Oh, how you dealing with that? Oh, well, the van's got to get junked. But the, oh. anyway, it's... it's the, the, the funny part of it all was um, her reaction to a car that didn't have a key and had a big video screen. <laughs> so you, you it's a nissan something i forget it's a okay. nice car but you, you get into it and you have the little fob in your pocket or or mm-hmm. whatnot and you just push a button to start it and she just thought that was uh, her phrase i think is you know what i've lived too long <laughs> <laughs> i just don't understand the world anymore it's just a little bit beyond her well just uh freaks her out and then uh, i i had never <laughs> used backup cameras before and i kept thinking you know it looks cl- Fine, but I'm just afraid there's really something that's gonna, I'm gonna bash into, you know. Uh, yeah, you don't know what the, what the blind spots, like, blind spots are. Exactly. Yeah, and in <laughs> fact, I did. I was like, mm-hmm, backing, backing. Well, it looks fine. And then I looked out the rear window, like I'm like a quarter inch from this chain link fence. I like. I oh. probably shouldn't scrape all the paint off the car that we uh-huh. borrowed. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> like, oops. Yeah, it doesn't show you everything, but it's it's a little weird. I probably, but it's a comfortable car to drive. But it managed just. Oh, that's good. Um, but so yeah, that's uh that's cool. Uh, it's a it's a nice collection. I've heard some of the songs. Uh, oh, thank maybe, you. Uh, well, they're they're all available free online. If you want to, or... if you want to edit this, you're welcome to drop in, uh, or if you want me to edit it or whatnot, um, put it together. I mean, you're welcome to throw in some samples if you like. Um, yeah, I'll send you links, or how about I let you do that, because I'm, because you're going to be doing the final edit, but I'll send you links to the appropriate 
things if you want. Sure. Okay. Because I was, uh, I did that with my interview with Sean, where I just dropped all this stuff in, and I didn't set anything up, and so it's all choppy. <laughs> uh, at least the first one, and then last time, the 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 second one, I said, uh, I was saying, oh, you know what, I'll put my song in. But then when it came down to actually doing it, I'm like, I just just upload it. I didn't even break it into parts, <laughs> so it's like a two-hour chat, almost two hours yeah. long. Anyway, people can listen if they want, and they can pause it and come back later if it's too long. <laughs> That's what I do. Little little snippy scissor sounds are really cute, though. I like that. Oh, thanks. I just threw that in. Yeah, because he he uh, he had uh, had some technical issues partway through. Yes. But um, so uh, the other thing you've you've mentioned that I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about is is like the. Um, Sort of, sort of, correct me, but it's sort of like the uh, half involuntary, half voluntary, and then later on embraced as a as sort of a true choice, the, the um, downshifting and downscaling of, of the, uh, the consumer lifestyle. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Danny and I, ooh, I don't know, three years ago? I guess it was decided that we were going to um, start living less of a life and learn to live on less. Um, a lot of that was documented in in the blog that that we we ran for about a year called LivingBehindTheCurve.com. It was Living Behind the Curve, and we went through and, and talked about personal finance and and reducing. And the whole reductionist, minimalist lifestyle. Um, the goal was that we wanted to pay off the credit cards and not have to work as much as we were. Yeah. Um, and we've managed, and we've managed to do that very well. Right now, we we started out um, with two corporate jobs, uh, with a mortgage, um, in a relatively affluent suburb of Philadelphia. Now we are two self-employed people living in a crummy little apartment in Buffalo on absolutely nothing. So it, it is the the dream is possible, people. 
<laughs> you make it sound so appealing. But you, but it, <laughs> there was. But have you? I mean, what is it? What has it done for you in in the positive? I mean, you you had a cottage industry, a home business, making jewelry. Yes, we 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 did make some jewelry that has just for sheer matter of time that's had to go away sadly oh okay. um there's still little bits of it around and remaining inventory is eventually gonna go hit the internet in, through another person's shop so keep an eye open for that then um, then you, your day job now is mostly uh web design web development yeah the danny is a web designer and i am a a, a wordpress developer um, and we've both, she's been, she quit her day job almost two and a half years ago and I quit my day job a year ago and we've been living on what we can earn ever since. Well, it, that's good. And you, you're not, you're not racking up debt and, and that's. No, we can't. We don't have any credit cards. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. I, I guess I, I'm definitely a, a big supporter of that. Um, I I was terribly in debt, and now I'm in one debt, <laughs> which is, you know, we don't own this house, but um, mm-hmm. but it's wasn't a very expensive house because we sort of downsized in a way while upsizing. Mm-hmm. It's a huge house, but um, we're in Saginaw, Michigan, and we left mm-hmm. Ann Arbor for Saginaw, and Ann Arbor people refer to as like this. Uh, this Shangri-La, although it's it's not all that, you know. In retrospect, <laughs> um, lived there for. It is a bit of a liberal haven, though. I've I've found a lot a lot of my lovely lovely commie friends seem to live in that, who live in Michigan seem to live in Ann Arbor. It's it's definitely uh, different, but it ha- it has this different than than most of the state. It has this reputation, though, for being very liberal. But when you scratch the surface of all the U of University of Michigan's frat boys and whatnot you know it's uh, the, the people with money are inherently not liberal they're inherently mm-hmm. not uh democrats they're inherently not this and that so you know you have an expensive oh, those are frat boys too so. an expensive college uh expensive university very expensive real estate and whatnot and so there's a lot of lip service paid to diversity and this mm-hmm. and that and whatnot but um and yet it still seems to be mostly rich white people. Shocking. Exactly. So mm-hmm. uh, Saginaw, um, having been home for many uh, decades to uh, to union workers, you know, is mm-hmm. is more democratic. And it's um, it's friendlier, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it's it's very racist and very segregated still. And this city has collapsed and hollowed out. And it's all mm-hmm. like... Um, townships and suburbs and whatnot but there are uh more integrated neighborhoods and more um you know it's getting funky now that that uh people can afford to live here you know mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's this bizarre blend of of, uh, of people now but uh, people have been very friendly and there's uh, enough unemployed people around that there's uh Lots of lots of people interested in uh, alternative food and gardening projects mm-hmm. and uh, you know local culture and they have time to do things like that. So yeah, 
that's one of the things that actually attracted me to Buffalo when I originally came here is that <clears throat> Buffalo has largely bottomed out. It's not in nearly the bad condition as a lot of cities in, in Michigan are, but it, it Buffalo is one of those really shot upon Rust Belt cities. Yeah. And um, I, I think Buffalo has had a certain advantage in the most recent economic downturn in that everything already turned down, so it didn't really get any worse here <laughs> during, during the Great Recession. But um, it's still a relatively vibrant city, and being a border town and being a part of western New York and being relatively having reasonably good access to a lot of other major metro areas while being all economically depressed and cheap has created a unbelievably vibrant and diverse artistic community here um which you would not expect in a city of 250,000 people yeah it's it's astonishing and it's because they're, all the artists can afford to live here and all the artists go to everybody else's art shows. So there's a level of support for the arts here that is seemingly unprecedented. Hmm. Um, certainly certainly in my experience. I, um, it's astonishing. There was one city that we were considering moving to and I interviewed for a job there and had gotten a little bit excited about the prospect. Uh, and um, probably in somewhat similar circumstances, that was Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And um, it seemed like there would have been a lot of opportunity there to get involved in local uh, bohemian stuff going on, you know. <laughs> Pittsburgh is in a little bit better condition than Saginaw or Buffalo, I think. Yeah, right I think so. Um, but uh, it, I had never, I've never, you know, I've spent time in big cities, uh, Los mm -hmm. Angeles and whatnot, but never really felt uh, the desire to live in one. <laughs> you know? Um, I like the little big cities I, I'm discovering. Um, I grew up in the suburbs. I'm totally a suburban baby, um, for better or worse. Um, but when I went to college, I moved to New York City, and I finally got what people were talking about. There's to... In... There's a anonymity that goes along with living in an urban environment that you can't find anywhere else. And to me, I find that feels incredibly safe. Mm. I, so I, I, so I, I definitely am attracted to living in more urban in more urban areas. Yeah. Well, we're, we've got some of the best of both worlds here. We're in, I guess you'd call it, it's inside the city limits. And usually when we tell people we're living in Saginaw, they say, well, I hope you mean the townships, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> no, we're, we're inside the city limits. But it is um, what was once a very uh, expensive neighborhood, you mm -hmm. know. And, it, it's, uh, and um, it's a mixed population. There's a lot of older people, uh, uh, some younger people, houses of all different sizes in our neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, you know. And... Um, I don't know. It it does have uh, it has some of the advantages of of being in a city. The problem is the services have mostly fled. Yeah. So you know uh, we're in a food desert. There is a farmers market. Um, it's it's running now, but it doesn't run all year round. And then mm -hmm. uh, we still have to drive six miles to a, a grocery store where we really want to find things to eat. You know. Mm. 
That's a problem I don't have, thankfully. You've got na- neighborhood groceries? Or... Yeah, we have full-size... Well, I am... Instead of being just inside the city limits, I'm a block outside of the city limits. Uh-huh. So I, I'm, I, I'm really just right on the line. Um, so I, I, I'm basically in between kind of the bad part of town and some very affluent suburbs. So I end up with both. Um, there, I, I'm right next to a, next to a, uh, rel- a fairly dense uh, commercial district. So I can go get whatever I want. It's, it's, it's convenient and it's reasonably well populated and it's right there. If I want to go, go to say a Wegmans or like a Whole Foods or something, it's a little more of a drive, but it's, that's not a place that I normally shop. Yeah. Well, we stopped. Um, when Whole Foods was getting the chain going, there was a Whole Foods next to our old apartment where we lived for 10 years. Oh, wow. And uh, that was our neighborhood grocery. And they had a juice bar and a coffee bar. And uh, we liked that uh, we would go on Sundays and get a juice or something. We couldn't. Obviously, you don't want to do all your grocery shopping at a Whole Foods mm-hmm. <laughs> for for cost reasons, but uh, yeah, really. but we did we did get some things there, and it was a nice place. I would take Isaac, and we'd hang out, and I'd have a coffee, and he'd have a smoothie, or <laughs> or vice versa. I don't know. Um, and then uh, that disappeared, and uh, they put in a Whole Foods a couple uh, a couple miles down the road, and that Whole Foods was a a giant uh, obscene. Swollen, bloated te- <laughs> temple of food. <laughs> oh my God! It's just um, the antithesis of uh, of a grocery store. You know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, uh, friends would say, "Oh yeah, I wish I ha- I wish I had enough money to shop there." And anyway, I have to unpack that for a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You <laughs> wish you earned enough money that you could give it to them? Really? <laughs> Because, you know, that would mean, uh, because, cause, I mean, that signifies full of, you know, meaning, you know, like mm. it signifies you, it's, it's like a, your aspirational food store. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so over the winter, I, I ended up staying, uh, my parents had some medical issues and I had to go stay with them for, for about six weeks. And I did the cooking and the shopping and the cleaning and the errand running. And I took people to the hospital and off to the doctor um, and my parents live in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, which is a, really a very nice suburb right, out, right outside of the northern, north uh, western part of Philadelphia. Um, and they have they have no they have no lack of grocery stores there. What they had is they were all these gigantic bloated stores, just like what you were talking about. And I ended up having to do all the shopping at, at this thing called a Supergiant. And what a Supergiant is, is the size of two regular giant food stores. Wow. With twice the space inside. But for some reason, they didn't have twice the products. Yeah, that's it. So you have to walk five miles to do your grocery shopping, but you don't have any more choice. That annoyed the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got this great big store. Why can't I have all kinds of awesome new things to go shopping for with my parents' money? I mean, you know, it's, it's not my money, so I might as well go buy interesting things to and eat, cook, you know? And you get to cook, and then maybe they wouldn't, <laughs> they'll at least try it, right? <laughs> they have no choice. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit of a captive audience. Yeah. But this, but this, these stupid stores for as huge and fantastic as they are, it's not 
giving you anything other than spending more time in the store. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's... uh. So I've gotten, I wish I could love our neighborhood groceries more. Though they're still not neighborhood. They're still several miles away. But mm-hmm. uh, I, but what I can't love is most, the quality of much of their food, you know. Yeah. That it's, that it's um, just t- too much of it is processed. Mm. And I don't know what you're doing with gardening, if this is part of your, uh, your, uh, what you feel called to do, but uh, it's really Grace's thing. But um, mm-hmm. with all this, we, we have a, a good-sized lot, and the plan is to try and put in, ultimately, a permaculture food jungle, you know, uh-huh. with all kinds of all kinds of beds. Uh, and we want to have urban chickens as well. Ooh. Well, we're renters, so we don't really have that option. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, if, we had more, if we had more time, we might... Danny, at least, might partake in more gardening I, I really have a bit of a black thumb and, <laughs> a li- and a lifetime of allergies against plants and trees and you know yeah yeah things that grow no, I'm, I'm like doesn't really it doesn't really you know trend me towards wanting to go play in the dirt in that way yeah do you have a little a little space for a plot you can use or something um if we if we wanted to i'm sure our landlords would let us dig it up and, and grow things yeah but it doesn't take yeah. that much to do at least herbs or something like that yeah um, well, we have a little window box for with chives and yeah. and i think marjoram growing right now oh that's cool okay well you know so we're i mean i say this this is what we uh, we want to do um but uh so far it's it's fairly minimal so far and then <laughs> We've got a, uh, there's just, it's endless owning a house. Is It's not a, a slam dunk as far as, oh, obviously benefits to, to owning, you know, because mm-hmm. you're responsible for fixing everything. And <coughs> it's just un- unbelievable what's broken and failed and, <laughs> and oh. collapsed in the first year and how expensive it all is. And I'm, you're, you have a black thumb, you know, I, I'd like, I, I should be a, a handy guy, you know, owning a big house like this or at least uh the bank owns the big house and mm. i live here i i need to be a handyman but one of you needs to be a handy yeah, person yeah but really <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's you or grace one of you has got to be able to do but it i keep looking at all this stuff and going you know i'm, I'm a software guy <laughs> <laughs> this is hardware yeah that's one thing i definitely learned owning the house that's one reason that i then i got rid of it yeah um and i did bought the house sold the house it I'm just not interested in having to do all of that maintenance. So uh, even to the point that I mean, I had a, I had a front yard about the size of a postage stamp, and it was such a hassle to mow it. I just I couldn't be bothered. I I don't really mind that part, but um, all the stuff that's uh, you know all the plumbing that theoretically I ought to be able to do, you know, rebuilding a toilet and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. and uh, just. A lot of the outdoor woodworking and stuff like that. I mean, we're just not there yet, you know. And mm-hmm. we gotta, we gotta learn fast. But um, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> and you will. Yeah. You don't have a whole lot of choice. Right. Your family keeps growing. You won't be able to fit back into an apartment soon. Uh, well, I don't. Does. Yeah, I, I mean, the, which by the way makes it very hard to live a minimalist lifestyle. Let me tell you. It, it's um. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call it our lifestyle is is not minimalist, um, but I I would say that uh, we 
we try to make very conscious choices about what we do and I think what we eat and what what we watch and what we how we live and whatnot. Um, sometimes it's just you know like maybe you know we tend to overthink things being racked with liberal guilt you know <laughs> but like okay so we're really gonna try and stop buying products from China. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, it's February and I'm shivering in my office uh, wearing fingerless gloves and not, you know, my hands are going numb and I can't type and our second furnace stops working and I'm like, okay, I need a space heater. I did my best to try and find one that wasn't made in China. Mm-hmm. Even brands... Couldn't find one. Even brands that up until weeks ago were not made in China. You're like, find a, a model online. It said, made in USA. Oh, cool. Go to Lowe's or whatnot. Look it up. Oh, look, they just changed it. <laughs> you know? Good timing on your part. So stuff is just uh, what little products are still manufactured here. Uh, they're just disappearing at a, at a truly alarming rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not as I'm not as concerned about uh, product consumption as you generally are. Now, part of that is I don't have five little consumers running around my house breaking my stuff either. Yeah. Um, I I just have don't have as much of a need to to, to much of a stuff need as you guys do. Um, I try and concentrate on supporting businesses that I I want to support yeah and, and and just be a little more conscious of which stores that i'm actually going into i haven't i have completely cut walmart out of my out of my diet for years Excellent. i'm very yeah and, we don't we don't shop but there. that doesn't mean that i don't go to kmart because sometimes you need <laughs> you need that sometimes you um, need something that you can only find. sometimes you just need a thing that you can just find there yeah so i go to kmart or i go to target um i support i actually don't shop at whole foods i i don't I don't agree with some of their corporate policies. Mm-hmm. Um, right. They've they've got some they've they've got some very sizes corporate policies active that I that I find um, is enough to 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 keep my dollar to myself. But I go to Wegmans. Um, I try just try to try try to be more conscious of, of, of where I shop. Now I'm not a real I'm not, I'm not a real hardcore nut about it though. Uh, there are many people who are much better at it than I am. <laughs> who are very very careful to make sure all their money stays local and supports local businesses and I just don't have the time and the energy yeah. to do that. Uh, it's hard, you know, people are are uh frequently um in their heads there, uh, you know, or on paper they're they're really doing great things, but I this great example of, we went to a talk a few years ago and mm-hmm. it was by a guy who was talking about the food industry and the fast food industry and all this and there's a t- it's a topic near and dear to my heart and uh mm-hmm. he talked specifically about McDonald's and he, you know this was around the time fast food nation came out mm-hmm. and he said something 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 you know uh really try and and reduce my usage of that you know um of course, I still eat there once in a while, and I just like my jaw dropped, and I stared at him, and I'm like, <laughs> "Dude, I haven't been in a McDonald's in 20 years. <laughs> Our kids have never been in a McDonald's, you know." And he's, uh, and like, "Why am I here at your lecture?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
Well, you can have all the principles you want, but yeah. Big Macs still taste good. Yeah, I, I suppose. That's why McDonald's is as big as they are. Their yeah. food is is cheap and quite tasty. And you can't really get around that. Now, I've managed to get around that because I've found a local Buffalo fast foodery that's even better than any fast food that I've ever had. Yeah. Called Mighty Taco. <laughs> Mighty Taco. All right. Mighty Taco. I love Mighty Taco. It has replaced all of my other fast food consumption, and it's a local franchise. That's cool. So I'm very pleased with that. And it's real food. Yeah, and it's every time you try something new off the menu, it all seems to be actually be made out of real food, which is shocking. Yeah, yeah. But I, it's just like, um, you know, and I'm sure I talk this way, uh, but um, to other people, my hypocrisies would be just as as glaring, you know, as <laughs> horrific. Oh, yeah. Because um, I, I don't like to be uh, such a uh, consumer, and, you know, we've got a 20-year-old TV, uh, a small TV, and, and um, you know, we don't own a living room set and all this but we have like seven computers <laughs> so. seven computers and 30 guitars and yes yeah, so. and and all and all of that stuff and it's the things that that it, that, that mean something to me and uh yeah. books out the wazoo mm-hmm. yeah so indeed so uh what's your earliest memory as far as a as a interesting piece of sound that uh, sticks in your head from being a child? Earliest memory of interesting sound. Well, I can tell you one little anecdote about that. <coughs> After I cough my guts up. Um, got my first real computer. I was about eight, nine years old. My uncle is a geek in, for uh, Unisys. Um, and he was an engineer there forever. He still works there. Um, and one day he shows up at my grandparents' house with a computer that he just kind of assembled out of spare parts he found under his desk. <laughs> um, what, 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 what was it? Uh, you know, I don't, you know, what did Unisys make? Um, Unisys was a mainframe. Yeah, that's what I thought. But. Yeah. Um, and... I don't know what the hell they do now. They've been slowly shrinking over the years. Uh, they're mostly a mainframe place, but I mean, he cl- clearly they have a lot of had to do a lot of desktop support for you know employees and whatnot at least. Uh huh. So he had the parts around, and he's just kind of generally a useful geek to have. <laughs> okay. He does some programming, and he does some hardware, and he does some software, and he does he's. He does, he does all kinds of stuff, from what I can tell. He doesn't like to talk about his work much. Anyway, so he shows up with a computer. And he says, here, you need a computer. Okay. <laughs> and, I mean, this, this it, it ran on DOS. It still had the printed Microsoft manuals. I will always remember that. Huh. Actual, the actual books that told you what to do. And that's how he taught me how to use it, over the phone, essentially. Um, something wouldn't work right. And I call up and say something's not working right and he'd say well have you looked that up in the manual oh no okay look it up and say oh you do this to fix it or just he'd put it together but he didn't put it together quite right just so i would have to learn how to fix it myself Mm -hmm. and learn how to and learn how to actually use the reference manuals and it was perfect for me anyway um on that computer there was some 
retro video games. There was uh, Asteroid and Centipede and some other stuff he put on there. Um, and I went digging around in my in my folders one day, and I found these programs, and they had little little sound files that went with it. And go boop or whoosh or you know, oh, the, all the sound effects for the game. The, yeah, the individual was, sounds for that the game. Yeah. Oh, nice. The individual sound files for the games were were in there, and when I clicked <laughs> on them, they got opened up in Windows Sound Recorder. You remember that? Uh. Prob- little box, prob- was this, a little waveform in the middle. This, when this was a DOS application, or was Windows three? Uh, it was Windows three point one. Three point one. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I've seen it then. Yeah, a little waveform right yeah. in the middle, and yeah. it would pop up and play through that. I thought, Ooh, what's that? And you had the options to stretch it out, or you could compress it, or you could reverse it, or you could chop pieces off of it. Or right. Let you, let you it, edit dire- really directly. That's yeah, you could directly edit the waveform. Um, and it was very, very primitive. But I remember being fascinated by all the different sounds that I could get out of this one little sample. Oh. And I would sit there and I would do that for hours and hours and hours. Hacking, hacking and, it up, hack, slash, yeah. and spool. Hacking and slashing and spindling and mutilating Spindle, yes. all of this Spindle, stuff. Spindle, yeah. mutilate, cool. And I ended up with megabytes and megabytes of, of these recordings of just strange and bizarre things I was able to do with these little little sound files. Nice. Um, yeah. And uh, that was my first... I think, I, 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 think that, I think I'll call that my first memory of really being fascinated by what sound does. By sound. Cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, see, I, I'm a little a little older. I was I was working uh, when Windows 3.0 was in beta and was, <laughs> was doing multimedia development for it. But um, wow! But um, that I, that was my first uh, actually part of my first job after college. I was working on Windows 3.0. I was a, mm-hmm. mostly a Mac guy, and they were just starting to sort of roughly catch up with GUIs. Mm-hmm. And I won't call it comparable, but um, yeah. And what we could do with multimedia on Windows machines, with um, you know, programs like Toolbook, that was sort of a an attempt to to clone HyperCard. And uh, this was even before QuickTime came out. So I remember wow. when QuickTime came out, that was a big. We were beta testers for QuickTime, and I was writing writing. <laughs> code for that platform and building stuff uh, for video for Windows and QuickTime for Windows. And then digital video itself was real um, real primitive early on and didn't, mm-hmm. didn't tend to stay synchronized. You can only get tiny little uh, quantities of it. Uh, <laughs> so most of the stuff I was working on then involved uh, video discs that were controlled uh, the, the, it played through your monitor using like a green screen kind of a, a an effect, um, a chroma key effect, and then uh, the computer would basically drive the video disc. Hmm. So, but uh, but that's that's neat. I don't. I think I guess as far as the sound on the computer, there was a thing called Sound Recorder. Uh, there was a Farallon product, which was a little like an eight-bit box interface box that could record to mm-hmm. like a, a Mac Plus or something like that. 
but basically as soon as I think as soon as they got to the point where they had a hard drive instead of a floppy you could record audio and start messing with it mm. but it was pretty low uh, the built-in audio output was was pretty low res oh sure yeah yeah but um, okay interesting I <laughs> I, I had a, a little um, uh, Sean Hurley's character uh, Part of his story centers around a Norelco carry quarter, mm-hmm. which was the first portable cassette recorder. Yes. And he's got one that he uses as a, as a prop in his play, um, but it's uh, but it doesn't work. Um, oh, yeah. that's a shame. There, you can. I was just looking on eBay. You can get one for pretty cheap, um, but mm. but the sound. I'm not gonna buy one, but uh, but <laughs> I was just I was looking at it, kind of staring at it, thinking, oh, I could just buy that. But um, no, but I did have, uh, I had early cassette recorders and one of them was a, a Radio Shack um, portable cassette recorder that was smaller. It was like a giant Walkman. And it mm-hmm. also had like a, a leatherette case that snapped around it. And when I was, I don't know, I must have been 12. 11 or 12 I thought that was just the coolest damn thing (laughs) (laughs) but I I was very into my uh, stepfather's uh, stereo and uh, his album collection and uh, listening to stuff on headphones late at night Mm -hmm. and then you know things like trying to record songs off the radio by putting my little cassette recorder up to the speaker (laughs) and But um, but my, I have an earlier memory that I have never quite figured out what it was of, and um, it's I I, th- I may have finally figured it out. It was something I saw on TV when I was quite young, possibly eight, possibly five, maybe younger than that, um, mm-hmm. which I th- <coughs> it centers around uh, the soundtrack t- to an animated film. And I think the film was called Fantastic Planet. Um, okay. And it has the most amazing uh, surrealist animation. Let me... Uh, I hate to do this, but... Yeah, Fantastic Planet, 1973. I don't know why it would have been on TV in, like, 1973 if it was this sort of French uh, French animated film from that era. But that's what I remember. Oh, I have seen this. That is, that is, that's good stuff. And, <laughs> and I and the soundtrack is filled with very interesting ear candy and a lot of oh, yeah. a lot of sort of it's probably um, probably a plate reverb, you know. Oh sure. And I remember being just fascinated by that, and uh, so so that would be. But I, I have this theory, I sort of bring this up because I have this theory that people have, like you have uh, uh, dogs that are sort of uh, scent hounds and sight hounds and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They, the people have sort of a specialized sense, they, or maybe a sense that they'd miss the most, you know. And um, I, I've always had kind of bad eyes, you know. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, so I... I if I describe, I would describe myself as a as a hearing hound, you know that uh, that like he- hearing is my dominant sense, 
and I, I suspect probably you and probably Sean are probably the same way that you, you sort of uh, like uh, your approach to the world has a lot to do with sound. I've certainly always, I think, been more interesting in the way things sound than the way they look. Um, I mean, why else would I have been attracted to radio at the age of 14? Um, did a lot of music as a kid, but that doesn't really seem because a lot of people do music as a kid. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's it's what interests me now, so I just kind of go go with it. And then I also always wondered if, like, the... Um my interest in messing up and distorting sounds and um, compressing and reverbing them and whatnot has something to do with, uh, like, that I hear differently. Uh, and that might be that might be like a, an autism-linked trait, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't think I hear particularly differently, certainly. I know that I'm certainly more forgiving in what i consider music than a lot of people <laughs> did, definitely did you like um were you often into music that uh was i guess i'd call it cathartic in that it was very noisy and not sort of sweet or pleasant but um but yet it made you feel better you know um no no not into like uh not until not, not until relatively recently have I really gotten into the the really avant-garde, the really experimental, the very noisy? Yeah. Um, that that's all much much later than than my developmental moments. <laughs> Junior high and high school, I I was uh, would collect the most. We had uh, uh, shops that had cutout bins full of. Uh, odd albums that were rescued from, I don't know, fire sales or water damage this or whatnot, you know. Mm -hmm. And you could find a lot of things for a dollar, which was about my price range. For <laughs> so I remember bringing home uh, Throbbing Gristle's second annual report on vinyl. Ooh, wow. And that, you got you got that on the, on the castaway bin? That's fantastic. Maybe, I don't, maybe not, but it, it, from, <laughs> from a... It was the sim same process, you know. I found It found it in a in like a store you would not expect to find it and um, <laughs> makes for a good story at any yeah way. but i don't know if i don't know if that was a cutout or just uh discounted you know it was probably it was certainly discounted or i wouldn't have ever bought it <laughs> <laughs> but um and then one was uh, uh so th that was an influential like wow this is music it's kind of horrible but it's kind of wonderful cool. at the same it's time compelling at the same time it, yeah. exactly um, really all that I did, I, when I, that year I spent in college, um, since, and we had broadband, so I had unfettered always on broadband for the first time in my life, um, and a relatively new computer, um, so I was able to do two things that I hadn't been able to do before. I'd be able to go, go on to mp3.com back when they actually, you know, hosted mp3s by whoever wanted. And I was able to have access to uh, 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 Napster. Oh, yeah. yeah. So at mp3.com is where I first learned that music doesn't always have to have like a melody and a rhythm and, you know, be, be songs. Right. And I found out about, about experimental music and noise music and, and all that bizarre, the really bizarre fringy avant-garde, um, which apparently was in its 
in in the in the genres that I spent a lot of time playing, and the real noise and the drone and all that, that was really in their infancy, right about that time in 1999. So, which I didn't know at the time, but that that's where I got my start and got introduced to the idea that music can be unpleasant and still compelling. Yeah, yeah. It didn't last very long. It was a very short phase for me, but it clearly had an influence down the line. <laughs> well, that that certainly you you could you could take a track and at least use these um industrial sounds as an element, you know. Mhm. Uh, yeah. My I a friend in college had some industrial stuff on vinyl that I, I don't even remember what it was, but at the time I had a, a new wave, uh, not uh, sorry, new age and well, ended new wave too, but uh, a new age radio show, and we'd get every um, major um, new age label release, and mm. and some of that stuff is uh, absolutely crap, and some of it is, <laughs> and some of it is really beautiful and fascinating, you know, mm-hmm. um, as well. So I got to sort of experience both sides of that, but. Um, yeah, it's really easy to hate New Age, and it's also really easy to pigeonhole it as uh, as, as uh, stuff without merit. I, you know, an uh, interesting example, I was just listening to a Kraftwerk album. I think it's uh, one of their earliest albums, and I wish I could remember which one. But um, you're listening to all this early electronica, and it's really lovely, and then all of a sudden there's a track that involves recorders. <laughs> And I had I didn't even know that existed, and, oh, yeah. and I, then I'm saying, wow, they really used acoustic instruments too. I I mm-hmm. was shocked, but it was beautiful, well, a beautiful track. Well, it's just like the first Led Zeppelin Led Zeppelin album on there. I mean, it's it's blues and it's it's heavy rock, and it's also got you know medieval madrigals on it. Yeah, it's, yeah. People who the the those initial albums at the beginning of any kind of movement are really weird <laughs> yeah the, they, the genre hasn't settled into sort of a conservative mm-hmm. set of conventions yet yeah yeah cool all right well i should probably get downstairs and start cleaning up dishes and thinking about what i want to eat for dinner given that it's after oh wow it's almost 10 o'clock is that right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it is uh, yeah i gotta get i gotta get scampering myself okay well uh good yes um yeah, send me some links to the stuff you'd like me to include, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes if you want to um, borrow uh, the audio for for your feed too. Sean did that. You know, you're welcome to if you want. And, uh, sure, I will. Um, yeah, when it comes out, I'll, I'll I'll let you know, and I'll um, yeah, I'll just send you some links, and you can do with them as as you wish. And then you're gonna send me the uh, your your side, and I'll splice it together. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. Great to talk to you. Awesome. It was fun. Good. Take care. (laughs) You too. Bye-bye. Bye.